Hello, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, here with my friend Chavrut and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Sukkah, daf Yotet, page 19. The Gemara here has two Mishnayos on this daf, but before we get there, there's a very interesting passage uh, that they quote here, a Brisa, that has very interesting language. Tana, a Tana taught, Pisal hayotze minasuka nidon kisuka. Pisal, right, which means some type of schach or something that comes out of the sukkah is treated like a sukkah. So the Gemara asks the obvious question, which is, my pisal yotze minasuka. What's the meaning of psal that comes goes out of the sukkah? And now the Gemara is going to basically have four explanations for what this possibly could mean. Amar Ula, first, first we start with the first Amora. Ula says, So this is sticks of the schach that basically sort of extend beyond the sukkah itself. itself. So it teaches that this, whatever this extension is, is actually a valid sukkah itself. Then the Gemara wants to ask, Vahabiyan shalosh defanot. But don't we require that a sukkah have three walls? So the Gemara answers here, kid'ika. Right? The brisa here is, is basically talking about case where there is three walls surrounding this extension or this protruding schach. Now, any Gemara that you might be using with pictures would show you what exactly this would, uh, what exactly this would look like. But essentially it's that you have schach that goes over the, the edge of the roof or one wall. And then the other two walls, you know, that are sort of, that are on the side or, uh, you know, basically perpendicular to that middle wall also are extended a little bit. So then the Gemara wants to say, So if that's the case, why did this brisa need to even state this? Of course, it's going to be a valid sukkah. You might have thought, right? That since its walls were made really for the interior, for the main, you know, for the, in, the inner part of the sukkah, they weren't made for an extension of like this outside sukkah. Because essentially what you're doing is you're making two sukkahs, an inner sukkah and an outer sukkah. Amilo, right? So we could have said, you know, that it's not, that it's not considered to be valid laws. Walls, kamash malhan. So this price is teaching us even this extension is considered to be valid. Now we're going to have a second understanding of what this price can mean. Rabbi Rav Yosef, Amri Travayo. So Rabbi Rav Yosef say, what is the meaning of this price? So this is talking about sticks of schach, right? That protrude in the front of the sukkah, right? And only one wall extends along them. So whereas before we talked about that, you sort of like you had a middle wall with two perpendicular walls, right? Like an outer wall of a sukkah and then two perpendicular walls. So you're sort of creating like your regular large sukkah and then your smaller sukkah. Here we're talking about where the two perpendicular walls are uneven and one extends out more than the other, right? And so... Again, the question is, you might have said, so you might have said this doesn't have the requirements or it's not really part of a kosher sukkah. The brisa comes to teach us, no, even though the schach sort of moves beyond the regular sort of where all three walls, where the two perpendicular walls line up, we're still going to consider this to be kosher. Now we have a third explanation. Rabbi Barbachana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Barbachana says the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Lo nitzurcha ele l'sukah sh'rubatz litam rubach hayamata. So the Bryce here is talking about 
sukkah, where the majority has more shade than sunlight, but whose minority, right, has more sunlight than shade. So what exactly does this mean? That when the schach, right, when you look at the whole schach, basically the schach provides more shade than it does sunlight. But when you look at this one particular area, there's a little area where maybe the schach is a little bit sparse and actually the sun is more than the shade. So what does the Gemara say? Why, why do we need this brisa? You might have thought that maybe the whole sukkah is going to be disqualified because there's this small area where the sunlight is more than the shade. The brisa comes to tell us, no, it's still going to be a valid sukkah. Now the Gemara is going to explain how we get this from the language of the brace itself. Umay yotze, what does it mean, go out? Yotze mehechsher sukkah. Right, it means that there's a one section that's yotze that is not what a valid sukkah normally is. Now we come to the fourth interpretation. Rabbi Yoshi Omar, lo nitzorcha elelizchach pasul pacho mishoshah This brace is only needed when we're talking about invalid schach that's less than three tefachim in a small sukkah. So remember, we talked about a small sukkah as a seven by seven tefachim sukkah. And let's say you have a less than three tefachim area of invalid tzach. This price comes to tell us that it doesn't disqualify this, this sukkah. So again, they want to go back to, because the first two interpretations have made sense with the language. The interpretation of Rabbi Barachana and this interpretation of Rabbi Yosha, they're trying to figure out well, how does it fit with the language of the Brisa? So it says, Umay Yotze. What's this meaning of Yotze if go out? Yotze mi turat mi torat sukkah. It means that it departs from the law of sukkah, right? So, you know, where before it said, it's interesting, it says Yotze mi hechshar sukkah, right? It goes, it departs from a valid sukkah. Here it departs from torat sukkah, right? Because Inherently here, we're talking about that you use something that you weren't allowed to use for your schach itself. Now the Gemara is going to challenge this fourth interpretation. Matkiv la Rabbi Hoshia. So Rabbi, Rav Hoshia gives an objection to Rabbi Yoshia, confusing with the names a little bit. Lo right? This invalid schach, it shouldn't be more strict than empty space. When you have empty space of less than three tefachim in a small sukkah, right? We know it doesn't disqualify. So why do you need a special bracelet to teach us about schach that wasn't made from the right material? It's basically even less of a severe case than when you have, you know, not even covering at all. So you don't need a bracelet to teach us this. So the Gemara answers, Amar le Rabbi Abba. So Rabbi Abba says to Rav Hoshia, This invalid material basically combines with the valid schach, basically, right? And you can even sleep beneath it. Whereas when we talk about empty space, right? It combines with the Val Tzach, but you're not allowed to sleep underneath it. So actually, it's a little bit of a different halacha. When we're talking about invalid Tzach material, then you're allowed, it combines, and you're allowed to sleep with it. But when we're talking about, you know, just having air there, right, no covering at all, it combines, we say there's enough Tzach material to say the sukkah is okay, but you're not allowed to sleep under that area. The Gemara goes on to ask, but is there anything, right, that combines with other materials 
that, you know, make it legal. So in other words, now they're going to, <coughs> excuse me, do we have another halachic, um, basically, uh, another halachic parallel where we see you can combine an invalid material with a valid material and say that it combines enough to say that it's actually valid, right? When it was not valid itself. So now we're going to say we do. I'm a Rabbi Yitzchak ben El Yashiv. So Rabbi Yitzchak, the son of El Yashiv, says, Ain, yes, we do. And what's that? What is that uh, example we have? Tit hanorak yochiach. Let's say we have pourable mud, right? We'll demonstrate this. It combines with water for the 40 seah that you need for a mikvah. Right? But if somebody actually basically, uh, you know, uh, did tefillah in mud itself, that would not be an actual, uh, that wouldn't be an actual valid immersion. So in other words, what's this case of the mikvah? You take mud that has liquid in it, it's liquidy mud, and you pour it into this 40 seahs, right? You, you want to, you know, it, it, you pour it, it, it combines with the 40 seahs of water, it's considered to be okay. But if you took 40 seahs of mud itself, that would not actually be okay. So what, what basically happens here is it shows another example where you take a valid something, the water, you mix it with something invalid mud, and it, it still stays okay. And so we're saying that you can do with the schach itself. So what's interesting about this passage is, is that it really starts off with this very short brisa, which reads, you know, very strangely. It is a very weird language. Psal hayotze mina sukkah nidon Right? What is this psal? Right? And what does it mean yotze? And we essentially see that the Gemara doesn't really settle necessarily on one interpretation, it gives us two interpretations, followed by another two interpretations that then it needs to go back to to pay attention to. Okay, you can give these interpretations, but you need to show us how it really fits with the language of Yotze. And it does try to prove it, and it does do a good job with that. So I appreciate it here that the Gemara didn't necessarily settle on one interpretation. I think it recognizes in a way that this is sort of a very strangely written brisa, and therefore it's willing to entertain four different interpretations, is sensitive to, it has to fit with the language itself. But I think overall, the Gemara here is sort of recognizing this is a very, very strange brisa written in strange language, and therefore requires a lot of creative uh, interpretation to understand exactly what it was trying to say. Thanks, Yodin. I feel like you've got the heavy lifting on on today's daf. Um, and I think that now I have a sense of exactly how these four different interpretations really line up with each other. Uh, so thank you. Now I'm going to move on to the Mishnayot. We have two Mishnahs on this daf, which means that the Gemara between them is also relatively short. Um, here we go. Somebody who makes a sukkah that's going to be like a tzrif. Now, I hear the word tzrif and I associate it with, you know, bunks in summer camp. But it's here it's really supposed to be a circular, some kind of circular structure where there's no real roof connecting to the walls, which we once upon a time might have called a teepee. Um, so, oh, shesamcha lakotel. So if you have either a circular hut in that way, or if you rested the the sukkah against a wall, what does that mean? If you took long branches, you put one end on the ground, and the other end is going to establish, like, I think of this as, like again, like a, a lean-to of some kind, 
where it's leaning against the wall, you have a structure, but you don't really have a roof. So then, So in either of these cases, Rabbi Lezer says, you don't have a roof, so you don't have a sukkah, but Chachamim will allow it. So this is already interesting, because it does seem that this is not the essence of the sukkah that we already know. So the Gemara introduces here a brighter and says, it says as follows, Tana, Modem Rabbi Lezer, She'im higbiha min akarka tefach, we have a brighter that says if it's if your sukkah is off the ground by a tefach, or if it is um, resting against the wall for the amount of a tefach away from the wall, that should be that should be a kosher sukkah. The only the real difference though between that brighter and the mission that we have, you know, in, on this daf is that you've got a roof, you know, in in this discussion of the tefach. So then again, why is it that the Chachamim are going to say that it's that this is a kosher sukkah when it, again, does not seem to have a roof? So in a similar language to your Dana, to what you were just saying in terms of things being like themselves, right? The sukkah being like itself. So here it says that a sukkah, it says when you have it, it actually is drawing from discussion of ohel, like a tent, where the the Gemara says that if you have a tent that has an incline, no, I'm sorry, if you have a, a structure that has the incline of a tent, then it's like a tent. And the point being there that if you've got, if it functions to provide shelter, then you don't have to have a schach roof, you could just have the same kind of structure. Now, obviously, this is not... Um, Universal because Rabbi Lezer does not approve of it, right? Okay, and then here we have a nice agarata that um, kind of develops all of this, and then we'll move on to the next Mishnah. Abai Ashkechela Rav Yosef, the kagne, the kagne bechilat So what happens? Abai found his teacher Rav Yosef was sleeping inside. It's a netted chupa. A chupa meaning it's a it's a canopy from a wedding, and the and the netting would slide would would drape down, and so what happens? He's 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 in this kilat chatanim, and within that he's in a sukkah. So he's got this netting around him, so to speak, the chupa itself. Amar keman. So Abai wants to know: Is Rav Yosef um, siding with Rabbi Lezer, who says that the that it would not be kosher, or like Chachamim, that it would be kosher. What does he say? Because you're, do you think that this netting is a tent or not a tent? If you hold like Rabbi Lezer, then the structure without a distinct roof cannot be its own tent. And then that netting that he's under does not get in the way of him being in the sukkah, because he's in the sukkah. Or, you know, but does that mean that he's Shavak? Okay, did you throw out the opinion of the Chachamim who say that indeed it would be a barrier because it's its own roof and then you're in a roof inside of the sukkah which, mean, which you know, knocks out the sukkah around him as being the real sukkah. So Rav Yosef answers him, meaning in this Breita, Amr Baraita Ifcha Tani. He says it was the opposite. Learn it backwards. Rabbi Lezer Machshir Vachachamim Poslin. 
So he says back to him a little bit sharply. He says, Rebbe Lezer is the one who said that it was kosher. And the Chachamim are the ones who said that having that kind of netting or any kind of roof over you within a sukkah would have been um, not kosher. So then Abai says, so, so how does that help you? Then you're, you're still throwing out the Mishnah, right? Meaning the Mishnah, which says at the end of the day, the Mishnah's position puts Chachamim saying that it is kosher, but Rebbe Lezer saying it's not. So he says, did you throw out that Mishnah? In the sake of, for the sake of the brayta, the brayta about the idea of the of the ohel, right? That this is the idea, um, right? The uh, the idea that chachamim say that it's kosher. I'm sorry, the chachamim say that it's not kosher, um, is the brayta. But the idea that chachamim say that it is kosher is the mishnah, and the mishnah, of course, is considered more authoritative. So that should take precedence. So Rabbi Yosef says. Rav Yosef says, no, in this case, in this case, the Brayta was right, and the Mishnah was just one version of this Machoket. And at the end of the day, the Chachamim, basically, he says, everybody took the Brayta, and they didn't take the Mishnah, which, by the way, is crazy talk, right? Because what does that mean, that you that they went with a Brayta over a Mishnah? And that Abayi himself would not have known this. I understand Rav Yosef is his teacher, and this is part of that education. But it's still it's still a matter of we have these, you know, general principles in place of how the hierarchy of the authoritative texts work, and this just flies in the face of all of that. So, so what happens? We've got, he says, um, he goes through the text again, right? The, basically the same text of the Mishnah. He adds in Rabbi Natan's view, that is Rabbi Natan saying that Rabbi Lezer says and Chachamim say, which means basically that at the end of the day, the Mishnah only is Rabbi Natan's view of this machloket, as opposed to it being a, a, an authoritative Mishnah in, that's you know redacted to be everybody's view. Instead, it seems to be that Rabbi Natan is presenting this view of the machloket of Rabbi Lezer and Chachamim, and really, really, it was the opposite. The Rabbi Lezer said it was kosher, and the Chachamim are the ones who said it was not kosher. And in terms of practice, then, we're going to treat such a structure as unkosher. So, practically speaking, I think everybody understands that having a structure inside of your sukkah is going to get in your way of having a kosher sukkah. We've talked about that before. Here, the Mishnah suggests that it should be acceptable, which is unusual to begin with. It seemed to kind of maybe line up with your data with what you're talking about at the beginning of the daf, except for that at the end of the day, it is rejected wholesale, which means that this Mishnah is rejected wholesale by the Gemara, which, as I say, to begin with is, is crazy talk. And at the end of the day, even when we have the explanation, I feel like then we need to really interview Rabbi Huda Nasi and say, well, if it's just Rabbi Natan's opinion, then how did it make its way into the Mishnah? We're going to table that question, however, because he is not here to discuss it with. We're going to go on to the, the second Mishnah on the daf, and with that, we'll conclude. If you have a large mat of reeds, so and you've made it to, to rest on, you're going to lie down on it, then it's a kind of thing that will then it be has the capacity to be rendered impure, and you cannot use it for the schach of your sukkah. But 
If you made these mats, such a mat, to be to begin with, then it's in, then it can you can use it for schach because because the whole idea of schach is that it's not going to get it can't it doesn't have the possibility of being rendered tame. So the whole idea of the moment you designate it for schach, then you are removing it from the category of things that could be rendered tame, and you can use it for schach. The initial statement of this Mishnah says if you have a large, if you have a mat of reeds that is large, so then Rabbi Lezer comes and says it doesn't matter. The same principle over whether something is designated for resting or designated for schach whether you have a large mat or a small mat, as far as the mission is concerned, as far as Rabbi Lezer is concerned, rather, there is no distinction between, the size is not a factor here, as far as he's concerned. So, so it, the, this mission itself lends itself to a great deal of discussion in the rest of the daf, um, and then continuing on to tomorrow's daf, because, first of all, the moment we reintroduce the whole question of Tuma, and here we're talking about intent and designation, then we are being, um, we're stepping kind of behind or above, right, the actual mat itself to talk about intent and to talk about um, how we relate, the fact that how we relate to what the item is is going to have bearing on how we use it. Um, and what it's allowed to be used for. So it is worth reading through that in the interest of time. I'm not going to do so now. In fact, I'm going to close. Thank you for joining us. That's our discussion for the day. Uh, Rankin's Review is where you get your podcast. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadrid website. Uh, come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about these Mishnayot and the four different interpretations that your dinner went through. Um, we look forward to hearing from you. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 